Okay, I'm excited to be here with Annie today. She's one of the three co-presidents of the 2022 Taiwan Film Fest of Boston TFFB organization. And so we're excited to have her here to share with us about this year's TFFB uh, documentaries and movies and films and um, get you guys as excited so you can come and join us for two days in October. Great. Thank you, Cynthia. I'm really honored and glad to be here today and share about the organization and what we're up to this year. To start, can you tell us about TFFB? What is it? When did it start? Why is the organization interested in bringing Taiwanese films to the U.S.? Right. So um, obviously, based on its name, it's an organization that was founded in the Boston area. It actually started from a fairly innocent occasion. It was a Thanksgiving dinner. That was the founding moment of it. It coincided with the Golden Horse Award, which was a, a known movie award in Taiwan. And there was a controversial incident that happened that year. The takeaway from the group over a Thanksgiving dinner discussion was that due to the kind of the geopolitical complexities, Taiwanese movies really doesn't get that much exposure that it deserves. So the founding principle was really formed around providing a space, a forum, and bringing Taiwanese movies outside of Taiwan to a place like Boston. Ever since it's it's um. The beginning, the team was always uh, fully supported by part-time volunteers. In fact, I think very, very few volunteers are in the movie industry or have related backgrounds. A lot of people are fairly reflective of the Boston dynamic of being in higher education, medical, pharmaceutical fields. So I was actually at the very first TFFB showing. Uh, I think it was. 2019 at That's MIT. Right. That's right. And so I actually went with a couple of my friends who are Taiwanese American, and we loved it. It was really amazing to watch movies that we normally can't get on Netflix or, right, you know, uh, US TV. Right, and I think that's a that's a important point that you mentioned because even even it's only until very recently that Netflix started supporting some Taiwanese productions or HBO, but that has nothing to compare to movies that have probably smaller budgets and unable to get distribution rights across the world, right? So we hope to provide that forum uh, through our careful curation and the debate over its connection to the theme every year. We hope to bring really great work from Taiwan to the audiences in Boston. One of the features of TFFB is that not only do we get to watch films from Taiwan, um, but these films are usually spoken in either Mandarin, Taiwanese, Hakka, some other lo like Taiwanese language and dialect, but also is subtitled in English, so it's actually accessible to non-Chinese-speaking audiences. But you guys also bring directors from Taiwan. Some of them actually are American directors too, right? Like Taiwanese-American directors? I think depends on the film, right? But that is definitely a component that we've tr strived to achieve um, every year. But then, like you said, um, other than the founding year, every year since then, until this year, hopefully, fingers crossed, that we've we've had to operate under the situations and circumstances of the pandemic. So for the past couple of years, we weren't able to invite the directors to join us in person. And, but that had changed this year. We're very excited to announce that we do have three sets of director um, and one with even the producer as well to join us in person in Boston this year. 
That's awesome. Okay, before we go into this year's sure. upcoming film fest in October, a couple of weeks ago, TFFB also hosted a special screening of American Girl, Make One New High. And That's right. It's, it won a number of Golden Globe Awards in, in, in Asia. Can you briefly describe for the, I guess, like non-Asian audiences, what is the Golden Globe Awards and why was that specific screening uh, unique and special? Right. So um, it, it, you're, you're absolutely right. It, to me, even uh, personally, it was a, a major step forward for a few reasons. Uh, number one, it was the first non-annual festival event that we hosted. And that was one thing that as a management team at TFFB that we decided that we wanted to branch out and be more active throughout the year. So that was the first thing that we did. Second of all, it was significant to me as well because it was our first collaboration with other organizations specifically. We co-hosted the screening with Taiwanese American professionals. That's a, a chapter in Boston connecting Taiwanese American in the community, as well as Arts Emerson that's behind Emerson College. So th those things were all kind of significant to signify a chapter of our expansion. And then third, uh, in terms of the movie itself, we thought it, it was one that would really resonate with different people within our community. A lot of us resonate with them in different ways, right? The audience that we tend to touch consists of people who are students here in Boston, people who are uh, fresh, may, ha may have some amount of Taiwanese roots, but working in Boston, as well as people who have formed a family already in Boston, and they all have different um, perspectives onto this topic of cross-cultural interaction and diversity, as well as the duality of Taiwanese versus American backgrounds. So what are the Golden Horse Awards? It's kind of like the Golden Globes, but right. for Asian movies, right? That's right. So it's mainly hosted in, in Taiwan, and it's basically the Oscars in Taiwan. It's, uh, I would say, I think it's the most prestigious movie award in Taiwan. And so we actually got to meet Fiona, the That's director right. and the producer, and we had a lot of great dialogue after. So moving on to October, really excited for this year's event. So I'm stepping in on the latter side as a volunteer, but you, you guys had volunteers and organizers working for the last year on curation of the films and selecting the theme, selecting the director, selecting the location, et cetera, so all the logistics side. Can you give a summary of what the process was like in the film selection portion? And then short description of each of the films that we'll be screening this year. Sure, of course. I would say chronologically, every year I would say the the team starts winding down after festival, and then that would be first week of October. Then there's a lot of reports that we tend to write uh, that some of them is related to our uh, funding requests. Then by end of November, December, that's when the election happens. So then the new presidents will be kind of chosen through an election process that's held by uh, the board members. That's about 12 to 14 people. Uh, then the, the year officially kicks off in January. So as Cynthia, you've briefly mentioned just now, I would say the majority of volunteers form in three groups. That's curation, fundraising, and marketing, broadly speaking. And then some of the logistics or design, um, finance, like that's 
uh, smaller groups that we don't tend to have multiple, multiple volunteers in. So the year starts with curation. We are still actually a relatively young organization. So I would say we're still in the process of refining what works best. And we're obviously very open to different ideas and how the team leads would prefer to run. So we start off by selecting the team leaders for each of the three main groups I mentioned. Kicking off in January, curation team would start collecting from the team leaders themselves, the board members, as well as some audience members. What are some things that they would like to see for the film festival to focus on the next year? Usually we go through some iterations of it and we would meet on a weekly basis to really dive into each proposal. And we, we, we tend to like to have a, in the end of the day, it's a volunteer organization. So we want everyone's voices to be heard. So it's almost like a defending your thesis type of process that everyone talks through what they have in mind. And then a theme gets chosen, obviously more in-depth description uh, will be written by that point. And then uh, by end of February or so, we would have a preliminary list of films that everyone collectively think fits the theme of the year. And we actually start with a list of about 30. That's right. It's actually a very long list because uh, there are quite a lot of challenges or unforeseen situations that may prevent us from lending the film. It could be between distribution rights. It could be between all sorts of different considerations. And obviously we would like to have some directors join us in person. So if we somehow landed all films that no directors could come, that's not our ideal situation either. So all those factors have to come into play. So we start with a list of 30 and then have list A, list B, list C, and then we proceed with um, the process. Wow, I didn't realize you yeah. so many. <laughs> Right. And, and, and one thing I didn't mention as well is I would say for at least half of these 30 films, after we started asking the basic questions like, hey, is the distribution right? Okay with us screening in this kind of situation where we're looking in person, how many people, and generally understand the cost for screening as well. Then I would say for this next round, about 10 to 15 films, at least three to four members of our group have watched the movie. We will usually um, request for a preview of the movie. So that, that process actually takes quite a bit of time as well. 10 to 15 movies and people have to go through them so that we have, uh, we're more educated when it's time to talk about how the films actually relate to the theme. And they're not necessarily films that were made within the last year or, and they're not necessarily Golden Horse Award winning films. Like they can be anything as long as it fits the theme for the year. That's accurate. Um, it started this year where we were also quite intentional in terms of the composition of the final film selection. For example, this year we, uh, I know I'm j- jumping the gun a little bit, but um, this year we had our, uh, we have our first innovation film actually. So that's very exciting versus uh, all the other ones are more so like the live action ones. Only one is animated. And this was actually one was originally originally released in 1995. Oh, wow. So okay. it was a remake of the original version. And then we were also quite conscious in the amount of documentaries that we may choose. So that's another factor. 
after the first three years of the film festival, we've come to the conclusion that a combination of both is a good way to really tell the story that we have here. Yeah, that's exciting. Okay, so I guess we can move on to what the films are for this year. Sure. So this is the fourth annual TFFB festival in Boston, and we've got six documentaries and short films. Is that right? So including the short films, um, it'll actually be eight. Six long films and two short films. And in the short films, uh, when we say short, that's about 20 to 40 minutes. This year's theme is Crack and Light. A main feature of this theme, if I were to summarize it, is we want to dive into the duality of life in general, right? So, you know, there's sayings like, whatever doesn't kill you makes you stronger, right? Like, we think that with crack, and sometimes that's the moment when light gets to shine in. So with every challenges, every downside, there's always a flip side to it. All right, so film number one. Yes. So film number one is is called Grandma and Her Ghost. That this is the one that I mentioned was originally produced in released in the 1990s. It's an animation film. It's really designed and written for audiences of all ages. It talks about the cross generational communication and culture. It also reflects a lot of the traditional Taiwanese culture. Some maybe maybe actually seem as superstition, and actually that's a very fine line, right? Traditional versus superstition. Like, what do you draw the line? Um, so it, it dives into that topic, and we thought it resonates actually quite well with a, a lot of Taiwanese Americans because many have vivid memories of interacting with their grandma. I've met many people who actually are more fluent in Taiwanese than Mandarin Chinese for all that reason. So we thought that the familial and cultural aspect of things made this a really interesting choice. And how this film relates to that theme is um, not to spill too much of it, but there was a challenging situation that had happened to the main character that led the main character to have the opportunity to engage with his grandmother. Had that never happened, he wouldn't have gone through the relationship development with his grandmother. And this is also one that the director, and, both the director and producer, will be joining us in Boston in person. And there is actually a Grandma and Her Ghost Two that's coming out. So this is a, a little bit of preview. You might get a sneak peek into what that may be looking like. Oh, that's awesome! That's right. Film number two, and and the second film that we have for this year is called Eagle Hand. It's one of the documentaries that we've selected this year. Um, it tells a story about a farming village in the middle of Taiwan. And it, it's really interesting because the name of the film, Eagle Hand, is a really powerful symbol, actually, of the challenges of this industry. So what it is about is that in the 80s, lotus root farming is actually a, a major source of export in that part of the town. It was a glorious time, but then it isn't just a smooth sail. Uh, to farm lotus root due to the seasonality, you often had to work in 100 degree weather throughout the day, 100% uh, humidity. It's just really harsh conditions. Moreover, these lotus roots tend to be so fragile that the farmers need to dig with their own hands and can't rely on any metal tools. And over the years, that's how and why their knuckles tend to get deformed and become what looks like eagles claws oh. right and, and and so that 
over the years now becomes a symbol of resilience, challenges, and also a dying industry. But then again, without spilling too much, there is the light to the crack um, that we also that the director also highlighted in this documentary. So uh, no, I, I feel guilty yeah. eating lotus root. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, not not really. Actually, mm -hmm. I, I think um, lotus root is also a. I, I think it symbolizes the kind of part of our part of our diet or day to day that isn't as present anymore. So I would say eating lotus roots actually helps the the farms there helps promote the the industry. I, I think that's also a common phenomenon in our society these years about you know population aging and people tend to have more options and shy away from certain industries yeah absolutely yeah the next film that we have is called me and my condemned son it's again a documentary and that focuses on death penalty uh, death penalty it in itself is obviously a very controversial topic it can get political and there's a lot of humanitarian arguments within the topic itself. So what this film is about is the director interviewing various characters that have a role to play. There were three death row prisoners that the documentary focused on. There were three different prisoners. And I believe some of them at the time have already passed. Some of them were still waiting. So it was a combination of different stories. But the Documentary focused on the people around them and their perspectives from in terms of the um, from the lawyer defender perspective, from the family perspective. And it's it's really not straightforward. It's not a straightforward topic to be thinking and discussing about. So for for this film, the connection here is also how, to what extent is being humane mean to us, right? If you're kind to one group, what does that mean for the other? What is kind in the end of the day, right? So, so that's the main um, connection with the theme this year. So that brings that was film number three. That's right, okay. and and this is also one that we will have the director join us this year, and and to also do a little bit of highlight, we also have a moderator who's has Taiwanese background join us this year. Uh, who is actually an educator for a prison in Massachusetts. Oh, wow. So that's a very interesting background as well. So we're very excited. Because our amazing finding, <laughs> finding all the people. Yeah. All right, film number four. Number four um, is, again, a documentary. Uh, I think uh, we, as a group, tend to find a lot of documentaries in Taiwan, fairly high quality. This one is called Enigma, the Chinese Crested Turn. So this is one that a documentary that focuses on nature and ecosystem. It follows a bird that was discovered, but then very quickly were thought as extinct or just not spotted. And then the film, the documentary talks about the discovery of that journey. And as well as the threats, danger, the unseen kind of environment that the bird has gone through throughout all the, all the years and it really got us to reflect on um, our approach to environment um, and sustainability these years. This is one that the director will be joining us this year as well. Uh, the director himself is an enthusiast 
for bird watching and interested in in this space as an amateur. The interesting fact about this movie is that the director discovered this bird by accident. It, there was a uh, on one of the, his trips, an equipment malfunctioned, and then he realized, "Wow, oh my God, I actually captured this bird!" And this is insane because for sixty years nobody has seen this bird. That's so nice. right. So, so it was a a whole lot of different dualities that were represented in this film. That's really exciting. Uh, and then on to our fifth film. This is one that also has a documentary angle to it. Um, it's called Let the Wind Carry Me. It's actually one that is about the movie industry itself. In Taiwan, there's this famous cinematographer called Mark Lee. He's uh, actually involved in a lot of the old school, what we consider old school Taiwanese movies or Hong Kong movies. And his approach and his Philosophy beliefs to filmmaking really opens our eyes to how this industry works and the creativity and artistic side of filmmaking. So we're really excited to collect and curate this movie uh, this year. Onto the last film. This is one that is a live action drama movie. It's called "Listen Before You Sing." Actually, this is a, a based on the real event. Uh, tells the story of a uh, Aboriginal Taiwanese tribe in Taiwan. It's called. Uh, they're from the Bunong tribe. So I think, in a way, somewhat similar to the Native Americans in the U.S., they are often a group of people who don't get as much attention at times, receiving less resources than people who live in other metropolitan areas. So this tells a story of very tiny, all commingled primary school risk losing their funding because their school is so small. But w- their one chance at survival is to enter a choir competition, which is something they've never done before. Like organized creativity, like music endeavor, was not a, a thing when you're in a school in the middle of the mountains. But they really got together as well as. A couple of teachers to make this happen. So this is again a, a story. Uh, when it comes to crack and light, this risk of school closure really brought everyone together, and they learned so much about collaboration, about the spirits, and really know who they are as well. I think it's a, it's a key theme for these years about how does someone maintain their Own unique characteristic and identity, and emerge with a society without losing themselves. I think that's that's one that particularly true for Aboriginal tribes, but still applies to all of us. Yeah, absolutely. The assimilation yeah. pieces, right? Always assimilation while keeping parts of your culture alive, and then picking and choosing what you want. Right. Yeah, and, and that's often a tough. Battle, and we do see that represented uh, throughout the movie. Awesome! So those are the six feature films. That's right. Those are the six long films. Um, and just to uh, highlight quickly around the short films this year, one that we have is called "The Passage." It's a short film that talks about the dairy industry in Taiwan. It's very interesting because milk is such a Common day-to-day thing we don't that we don't think much about, but in reality, I personally was shocked by how much care 
these large animals may need. And these vets are not dealing with like small, cute dogs, uh, but they're dealing with large animals. It really requires different uh, rigor and training to be able to service these uh, large animals. So it talks about that. Um, also has a, as an industry has its own challenges of sustaining uh, the talent and re retaining talent um, and how they, a group of people, young, passionate and strive to revive what this means to the younger Taiwanese community. Fascinating. Yeah. Uh, the, the last one is a short film called Faces of a Taiwanese Opera Actress. So Taiwanese opera is a form of theater that has uh, a long and very distinct history. Quite often, actually, it's performed outdoors on a temporary stage. And there's a lot of tradition, culture, like festival celebration that's related to Taiwanese opera. Taiwanese opera in Chinese called called Gezaixi. And by definition, it's actually you sing it. You actually don't talk. That also adds another layer of complexity. It's also typically done in Taiwanese. So to me personally, this is also a film that highlights the, I would say like the maintaining and upkeep of what Taiwanese language and the older traditional culture mean to us, right? So throughout the short film, it talks about a production company in Taiwan, how the struggle they go through to try to bring Taiwanese opera to the main stage. They are trying to produce a considered a high budget uh, Taiwanese opera to try to bring it to younger generation so that it's not like, oh, some old school thing that I only see in a countryside in a parking lot because it was some sort of festival or, or like a, a temple celebration. Really brings it to the main stage and showcase the artistic and creativity that's involved in producing and bringing a Taiwanese opera to all of us. I'm so excited yeah. for all of these. Yeah, uh, I, I think I think throughout all, all these films, it really highlights the diversity of culture um, and different facets of industries that have its own challenges surviving in a country like Taiwan. Even it's so small, but there is so much diversity uh, within the country. In selecting the films, did you guys go through like making sure you represented Mandarin, an Aboriginal tribe, Taiwanese, etc. Like, is that was that part of the consideration when you guys were selecting the films for this year? I, I don't think we went about it from the sense that oh, we need to have one Aboriginal film. But in a way, I think this is probably why it's so sim significant. Is it doesn't take us that hard because I think I think it's already part of the culture and everyone recognizes it. We, we didn't have to go out of our way to find one film that represents Aboriginal Taiwanese culture. So we were careful in terms of not repeating um, the topics or the themes. But in my opinion, I think a lot of things fell in place quite naturally because Taiwan naturally is a diverse place. Yeah. Any sort of challenges before we before we go and just tell sure. people how to buy tickets um, any challenges that you want to highlight in either the volunteering process curation logistics distribution rates etc that 
anybody who's interested in maybe bringing a, a film fest, like the Taiwan Film Fest of Boston, but maybe to a different city, would might want to consider. Right. So I think the most um, special, unique thing about being involved in Taiwanese, in this Taiwan Film Festival in Boston is actually its real resilience. And, and I think to kind of echo our theme this year, to me, everything has both sides to it. What is challenging about it is also something that we're most proud of, which is our ability to, to adapt through all these years, and especially with only volunteers. We have no full-time staff, nobody's getting paid, but with that composition of volunteers, we really have a diverse perspective when we're selecting the films and we leverage different, I would say talent. People have different skills like yourself, you're a podcast host and that's something that we've never had in our organization and, and that's something we really cherish from our volunteers. And in terms of resilience and adapting to the environment, I think the pandemic definitely brought a lot of that. Um, we grew from, like you said, the first year being on MIT campus and leveraging a lot of the school resources to help us kick, kick off to second year being completely virtual. Third year, we started to dabble into renting the AMC theater. So this was one that the adversity actually helped us because the schools weren't opening their venues yet. So we had no choice but to, but to explore external venues. So that's what got us going. Even though it was a hybrid, um, one day in person and the rest of the films were accessible online virtually, we had a lot of learnings about how to host a film festival on a commercial venue. So this year, that's the route we took. We were confident and comfortable enough, knock on wood, to have a two-day in-person festival in, at AMC Theatres in Boston Commons again. Really excited. Okay, so for anybody who's local, uh, who's interested in coming, where should they go to get tickets? How can they follow along? And for people who are outside of Boston, why should they make this special trip? Right, so our ticketing system is online now. Uh, you can buy tickets very easily um, on our website. That's taiwanfilmfest.org. That's T-A-I-W-A-N-F-I-L-M-F-E-S-T dot O-R-G you'll be able to find the purchase information there. There are two forums on day one and one on day two. Um, for people who, you know, are not local, but possibly think about traveling for this, obviously, I might be biased, but this is a production, a two-day production that came out of with a lot of people's blood, sweat, and tears. <laughs> and this is the only one that I know of in the U.S. I think there are a couple other ones, but... I think within Northeast, we're proud to say that we're prominent in this space. If you're one that are interested in dabble into what may consider foreign film to you, or if you're Taiwanese, like going back to your roots, this was a great way because it's, it's a selection of care, carefully curated films. We've all watched it, and some of us multiple times at this point, and we really stood behind why these were meaningful films. So I think for that reason, it's, it's a great way to engage with the community and also with the people. I think that's something that we missed when we were doing the festivals virtually. It's the interactions, it's the forums, like you really feel the energy, right? You know that, wow, everyone 
here in this 300 people theater are we're all enthusiastic about the same cause and i think that's a very powerful thing that got us to realize after the pandemic that this is something we definitely need to bring back to boston community awesome and you guys are all on social you have instagram twitter that's right anything that um that is out there we're on (laughs) Yep, and then if you guys want to donate financially to the cause as well, there are ways to do that on the website as well. That's accurate. We take um, forms of either check or uh, Venmo, uh, GoFundMe. These are all avenues that you can take to support us. As a nonprofit organization, actually venue rental, screening fees, the director's kind of travel expenses, these are all not insignificant expenses, operating expenses that we've had to cover. So any amount of donations, support um, means a lot to us. Uh, And in the end of the day... And corporate sponsorships too, actually. If you work at a company that does um, grant making, um, that's something TFFB would love to probably know about. That's right. Um, I think this year we've expanded our funding sources quite a bit. We actually were fortunate enough to be supported by Mass Cultural Council this year. So uh, I think that's a huge validation for us and and we hope to continue to expand um, our support sources from organizations, whether it's private or public. Thank you so much, Annie. This is great. I'm excited to join. The festival this year is October 1st and 2nd. That's right. At the downtown uh, crossing AMC theaters of Boston Commons. So yeah, buy your tickets, buy them early, and children under 12 can come for free. Thank you, Cynthia. We look forward to seeing you. And that's a wrap for this episode of Taiwanese Diaspora. If you have any comments or feedback, feel free to reach out to me on social. I am at T-W-D-I-A-S-P-O-R-A on Instagram, and that's probably the best way to contact me. All right. I will see you next time.